Excellent. Thank you. Uh, thank God, um, the creator of all things, in whom all things belong, uh, that we can be here today um, and take this time to reflect on the story of Joseph and what that means, um, what we can learn from that about God um, and about Jesus and about um, his love for us, essentially. So... The theme we've been following for, oh, sorry, called Josh Taylor Tokoingwa. If you don't know me, my name's Josh Taylor. Um, I have been uh, part of MCC for coming up uh, 15 years now. Uh, my uh, beautiful wife and kids are just heading out to the back room. Uh, and uh, my mother-in-law's here too. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, yeah, so the theme we've been following this year is that of story. And this is in recognition of the importance of uh, remembering and passing on our stories, just as in the book of Deuteronomy, the Israelites were commanded uh, to tell and retell their story. And as these stories are told and retold, we're reminded of the whakapapa of our faith, um, of the origin, the history of our faith, in the global context, uh, in our local context, in Aotearoa, here in Massey, and also in the context of our own lives. And today we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. Uh, yeah, I'm going to start with the reading first. So, this is from Matthew 1, verse 18 to 25. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the prophet, what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. And that's about all we know about Joseph. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we'll see you next year. <laughs> nah. uh, there isn't much written about Joseph in the Bible, uh, but there are a few more passages, particularly in Luke, uh, which talk, uh, tell us a bit more about his story or make references to him in some way. And I've also been looking through this book uh, called Faithful Christmas Through the Eyes of Joseph uh, by a guy named Adam Hamilton. And that's been really useful for learning about some of the traditions uh, within the church uh, concerning Joseph. <clears throat> so I'm going to do things a bit different today. Uh, I'd really like to help you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes as you explore um, his story. A little bit uh, like Libby um, did a couple of weeks ago when talking about Mary. I just want you to kind of, as, we, as you hear, um, think about any aspects of his life that might uh, be similar to things that you've experienced, any questions he might have had that you might have as well. Just try and um, see how you can kind of make that connection with what he went through. So I'll be doing this by cutting back and forth between a bit of a narrative uh, of Joseph's life and a few comments about what this shows us about God being human and following Jesus. So when I'm over here, I'll be telling the story. When I'm over here, I'm just talking. So. 
I believe the story of Joseph reveals that the fact that God sees our heart and that God stands in solidarity with us. Joseph also modeled for Jesus some important character traits that we now often associate with, um, with following Jesus. These are righteousness, uh, obedience, and compassion. <clears throat> so, let's start the story. You're feeling excited because you're a couple of months away from finishing the extension on your parents' home. A new room for yourself and your wife-to-be, Mary. You remember that feeling of butterflies in your stomach when you first met her. Elizabeth had suggested the match to your parents. You all traveled to Galilee to meet Mary and her family. You remember Mary's smile as she served you food. It put your heart at ease. You barely even had a chance to talk to her that day, but over the next few months, you got to know her a little bit. She seemed to like you, which you're a bit surprised about. After the engagement ceremony, you couldn't wait to get your place built. It seems to have taken so long. Every day after you finish working for your father, you work on your room. Your father won't let you take any shortcuts. Not that you would anyway. You're proud of your workmanship. A few months to go. You hope that she is excited as you are when you arrive to bring her home. Bring her back to what will be your home. In Joseph's day and culture, marriage practices were quite different to what we have in New Zealand now. Marriages were often arranged either by parents or by a matchmaker. And once the bride came of age, which would have likely been around the time of puberty, uh, the marriage was formalized with an engagement ceremony where the couple both entered uh, into the betrothal period. The engagement involved um, gifts of money or other expensive things uh, given to the bride and to the bride's family. Also, a legal document was prepared in which the groom pledged to provide a house, a living, and his love uh, to his wife. During the betrothal period, the couple were considered legally married, even though they were not allowed to sleep, each other, sleep with each other until after the wedding ceremony. If they did, it was considered adultery. The wedding ceremony often did not occur until up to one or two years later. During this time, the groom busied himself preparing a home for his wife which was often an extension to another room on his parents' home. The bride, meanwhile, was taken under the wing of women in her community, and they taught her how to be a wife, but she also spent time preparing her bridal gown. A consistent motif in the Bible is that of God's people as a bride and God or Jesus as a bridegroom. John refers to Jesus as the bridegroom, saying in John 3, verse 28, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. John is saying that Jesus is the bridegroom, and he is Jesus' joyful friend. Jesus later in the book of John picks up this metaphor. He says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So just as Joseph prepared a place for Mary, so Jesus is preparing a place for us. And just as Mary prepared herself, we as the bride of Christ should be doing the same. The image of the bride preparing her gown, which will be without stain and wrinkles, symbolizes the bride acquiring the character of the bridegroom. Mary just visited with her cousin Elizabeth, 
At first you were overjoyed to see her, but then she told you that story. She's pregnant. Pregnant. What was she thinking? How could she do that to you? And she couldn't even be honest with you. An angel, she said. A miracle. She just woke up one day and realized she was pregnant. You're so angry you want to smash down your room. But at the same time, it feels like someone has ripped the insides out of you. You curl up into the ball, trying to forget it all. It's been a few days, and you can't get that story out of your head. It's ridiculous. An angel, the savior of the world. But you heard that Elizabeth is pregnant too. and She's old. They say that her husband, Zechariah, had some sort of encounter. He hasn't spoken a word for months. No, it can't be true. Still, you feel sorry for Mary. There's good reason for her to be in denial or delusional or whatever it is. You've seen how adulterers are treated, especially those who have babies. You wouldn't want that on your worst enemy. No, you've made your decision. Obviously, you'll divorce Mary. She's been unfaithful, but you'll do it quietly. Maybe people will think that you're at fault. Things might go a bit easier for her. You think to yourself, God, this is such a mess. One of the first things the Bible explicitly tells us about Joseph is that he's a righteous man. A good way to think about righteousness is his right relatedness. Joseph was in a right relationship with God and with those around him. This likely meant that he adhered to the Sabbath, regularly attended synagogue, tithed, and participated in the other Judaic traditions of the time. We read that Joseph took Jesus to be circumcised on the eighth day and that he took his family to Jerusalem for the Passover festival every year. It would appear that his relationship with God led him to have compassion for others. Matthew says that Joseph decided to divorce Mary quietly so that she would not be exposed to public disgrace. This would have been no small thing at the time. It's quite likely that the fact that Joseph didn't publicly condemn Mary as an adulterer may have led to people to assume that he was actually the father and he was just trying to clean up his mess. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of God are often characterized as an adulterous bride. And God is often depicted as a jealous but also compassionate and merciful bridegroom yearning for his bride to return. It's probably not, probably not insignificant that we see echoes of this in Joseph's relationship with Mary. Not that Mary was adulterous, but it was likely that she was perceived to be that way. It was true. Mary's story was true. You can't believe it, but you have to. How could you not? You heard for yourself with your own ears. You saw with your own eyes. It was an angel, a messenger. It came to you in a dream, but you know in your heart it was more than a dream. The messenger said, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a boy, and you're to name him Jesus. The messenger told you that this child will save the people from their sin. You have no idea what that even means. You know what to do now, though. You'll go to Mary and you'll bring her home as your wife. You're not sure how to feel about that. It's what you've been longing for, but it's not the same. This wasn't your dream. Not like this. <clears throat> One thing is clear in the brief narratives that we have about Joseph is that he's obedient. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. This happened several times in Joseph's life. 
has given some sort of instruction which will turn his whole world upside down, and yet he obeys over and over. Surely this is the result of his right relationship with God. Have you ever been asked to give up everything to follow God? Have you ever been asked to give up something much smaller to follow God? The more we know God, the stronger our relationship with Him, the more likely we are to trust Him. We know, when we know what God's heart is like, when we know what He wants for us, it's easier to let go of the things of this world, even the things that we hold most dear. Joseph exemplifies this. He was righteous and he was obedient. You've been asking yourself the same question over and over. Why me? Why have I been chosen to raise this baby? Sure, you thought that maybe one day you might have children, but not now. Not like this. You can't think why would you, you would have been chosen. You just consider yourself an ordinary person. But you can't deny it. You feel chosen. Deep inside, it feels like this is your purpose. You have a family now. A blessing from God. How are you going to provide for them? How are you going to protect them? You hear that still, small voice that says, trust in me. Can you love a baby that's not your own as if it is your own? Are you always going to be conscious that you're not really his father? Will he accept you as his father or will there always be distance between the two of you? Mary told you that this baby is the son of the Most High, the son of God. That's what the messenger told her. You were nervous enough already about being a father, but this adds a whole other level of anxiety. How are you supposed to raise a God? Will he know everything already? Will there even be anything for you to teach him? Well, one thing you do know, because of the census, you and Mary now have to travel all the way to Bethlehem. You hope, him, hope you make it there before the baby is born. Jesus is the Son of God. Joseph was just human. Can you imagine the fear and doubts that he must have had? Many of you have had children of your own, so be familiar with the anxiety and trepidation before your first child. Some of you will have raised a child that's not your biological child. I'm sure you will have shared some of the questions and worries that Joseph had. Why did God choose Joseph? He was a descendant of King David. That seemed to be a prerequisite. None of the gospel authors tell us anything that would lead us to assume that Joseph is anything other than a regular man. In fact, one passage in Luke, uh, Jesus proclaims himself by reading a passage from Isaiah, and the people say, wait a minute, isn't this Joseph's son? They clearly didn't see Joseph as anything exceptional. God chose an everyday person to raise his son. This theme repeats itself all throughout Scripture. God uses everyday people, just like you, just like me, to do extraordinary things. What does this tell us about God? Well, maybe God didn't see everyday people. God often chooses people who, to be no, who seem to be nothing special from the outside, from appearances. But God sees our heart. Let's look back to when God chose Joseph's tupuna, his ancestor David. Samuel's been sent um, to Jesse to look at his sons and to anoint the one who's going to be the new king. In 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, uh, it says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearances. 
but the Lord looks at the heart. David is later described as a man after God's own heart. But he wasn't perfect. He still messed up like we all do. Perhaps what God searches for is a willingness or an openness or a desire to know him, to be in a relationship with him or a desire to deepen that relationship. It's not by our might that we are able to bring about God's will in this world. But when we have that seed of desire and commitment, then the Holy Spirit is able to work in us and through us. Joseph may have seemed like nobody special to the world, but the Holy Spirit empowered him to raise Jesus, the Son of God, as his own child. The journey was hard, but you made it. You are in Bethlehem, and Mary hasn't had the baby yet. And now it begins. The sideways glances, the whispers behind your backs, the smirks. You know what people are thinking. You know what they're saying. The math isn't hard. You just arrived back after getting married, and Mary's clearly going to have a baby soon. Would have been better if you could have stayed in Galilee instead of returning to your hometown. You call out to God, give me strength. That journey was hard. Ah, Still, you know all that is nothing compared to what Mary's going through. The journey was hard on her body. All this stuff, it's just your ego messing with you. Your family is still there for you. That's what really matters. They have given you somewhere to sleep, even though there really wasn't any room. He's here. He's here. Your son is here. What a night. You've never felt so helpless in your life. Pacing around outside, listening to the screams, the screams, oh, and then the cry, the cry. Your son was here. Jesus was born. He was beautiful, majestic, and he cried. Oh, he cried. But you watch Mary wrap him in cloth and settle him into a manger. There was nowhere else to put him, but it worked. He quieted him down and went to sleep. And then the shepherds, you have no idea where they even came from. Then they told you they had seen angels too, a company of angels. What did they tell you they're saying? That's it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men. Then they found you. You wonder how they even knew where to look. And they knew Jesus would be in a manger. That's what the angels told them. You heard them call Jesus the Christ. This is all too much. You can't believe how fast Jesus is growing. He can almost walk now. Your life has just started to feel normal again. You'd almost forgotten about the Son of God stuff, dealing with raising a baby. Almost. It was always there in the back of your mind. But it's right back in the front of your mind now. You're on your way to Egypt. Egypt, another country. You think about those magi, dressed in their fancy robes. They'd shown up out of nowhere. They told you they were looking for a king. They told you that they'd followed a star from a faraway land. And it led them to your home. They worshipped Jesus. You'll never forget the sight. Three grown men bowing down to a baby. And the treasure. They gave you gifts for Jesus. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You've never seen so much wealth. Now here you are, carrying it with you on your way to Egypt. You have all the wealth you could ever need. But you have no home. You're far from your family. When God broke into this world, it was not what people expected. 
The Jewish people were expecting the Messiah, the Christ, their Savior, to be a mighty king, someone who would drive out their enemies by force. But the Messiah entered the world as a little baby, helpless, dependent. Jesus was born into what likely would have been a poor family and an oppressed people group who then became refugees. What does this tell us about God? Perhaps that God wanted Jesus to be in solidarity with the people he came to save. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is a God who meets people where they're at and invites them in. Not a king who takes things by force. Not a dictator or a tyrant. A God who is love. A God of love. Love that was expressed through the life of Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God sent his son to be one of us so that he could be one with us. Jesus says in John 15 verse 4, Remain in me as I remain in you. And he also says in John 14 verse 20, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. God wanted to be in solidarity with us. You miss your family. You are refugees in a foreign land. You get by all right, but you're always on the outside, never welcomed in. You're lonely. You thank God that you're safe, though. You thank God for his provision, but you feel guilty. The angel warned you, and you packed up and left Bethlehem. You didn't tell anyone else. Then you heard what King Herod did. All those babies, all those children, dead, murdered. You can't sleep at night thinking about it. You cry out to God, why? But you get no answers. You're going home. Finally, you're visited by an angel again. This time it told you to go back to Israel because those wanting to kill Jesus are now dead. You can't wait for your family to see your son. You know he has grown so much. You imagine they'll be surprised by how clever he is. You're worried about another upheaval, but this time it'll be easier, surely. You'll be back with your family again. What a blessing. A fresh start, a new life. Jesus will grow up to know his own people. You don't know how Jesus could have been so thoughtless. Sometimes you think he lives in a world of his own. You enjoyed a great time together for Passover. You're on your way home and you realize Jesus was missing. At first, you thought he must have been further ahead with a caravan of people that you're traveling with. But by the end of the day, you realize he wasn't there. You tried to calm Mary down. She was frantic, but to be honest, you were very worried too. You both agreed to return to Jerusalem that night. You were praying the whole way that Jesus was safe. After three days of searching, you tried the temple, and there he was. You didn't know whether to hug him or yell at him. He seemed genuinely surprised that you're worried. Didn't you know that I'd be in my father's house, he said? His father's house. That hurt you. You know that Jesus is your son in every way but blood. You know that he sees you as his father, but you also know that he's starting to understand his true identity. He's learning what it means to be God in a human form. You've taught him what you know about what it means to be a good person. You tried to role model what it looks like to be faithful to God. You wonder, is this enough? Or if it even really mattered at all? 
As I've prepared for this message, I felt sad that we don't have any record of Jesus interacting with his father, Joseph, as a grown man. It's widely held that Joseph must have died before Jesus began his ministry. But I wonder how Joseph would have felt witnessing the man that Jesus turned out to be. Would he have been surprised, proud, relieved? When you read about Jesus and learn about how he lived his life, we probably most often attribute his many positive character traits to the fact that he is the Son of God. I think it's important to remember that nurture has just as significant a role as nature um, to play in the shaping of a person's character. When we take this into account, it's not unreasonable to expect that many of the character traits we see in Jesus are at least in part a reflection of the character of Joseph. So what are the things we see in Jesus' life that Joseph, as Jesus' earthly father, may have passed on to him? Righteousness, a right relationship with God, Joseph modelled faithfulness to God in the context of his religion, but he also had supernatural encounters which would have likely fostered a more personal or intimate relationship with God. We see, that, uh, we see this right relatedness reflected in Jesus' life as he resists temptation in the desert, when he seeks out quiet spaces to commune with God, and when he says, not my will but yours in the Garden of Gethsemane. Obedience. Jesus regularly talks about how, how he only does his father's will. I'm sure he grew up hearing stories, the stories of angels visiting his father, earthly father Joseph, and how Joseph diligently obeyed their instructions. He would have also learned of God's faithfulness to Joseph and Mary as they demonstrated their obedience. This led to Jesus' ultimate act of obedience as he chose to lay down his life to save the world. Obedience unto death. And compassion. I can't help but think that Joseph must have been a compassionate and kind-hearted man. We see the evidence of his compassion for Mary when he decides to divorce her quietly. I'm sure that his compassion extended to those all around him. I can picture a young Jesus witnessing his father extending hospitality to a, hospitality to a stranger or an outcast. Remember that Joseph himself lived as, as a refugee in a foreign land. He would have known what it felt like to be an outsider. And Jesus grew up to be a man who would actively seek out and befriend those whom society had rejected. <clears throat> what does this mean for us? I would suggest that as followers of Jesus, we ought to be demonstrating these characteristics. As the bride of Christ, we need to be preparing ourselves for the bridegroom, diligently working to acquire the character of the bridegroom. Righteousness. A right relationship with God or with those around us. Obedience. And to the point of death? Maybe not literally, but are we willing to take up our cross daily? Are we willing to deny ourselves and to die um, to ourselves to follow Jesus? And compassion. Sometimes it's hard to love the people we care about. How can we get ourselves to the place where we readily pour our love out on strangers and are even able to love our enemies? Perhaps these are some things for us to ponder as we head into the holiday season. And as you celebrate Christmas this year, as you remember the birth of Jesus, think about how radical it is that God came into this world as a baby. Emmanuel, God with us. We have a God who not only sees the aspirations, joys, and sorrows of our heart, but one who has experienced them. A God who sits with us in our grief and in our joy. A God who empowers us through the Holy Spirit to become like a radiant bride. Let me just pray while the worship team come up.
got it. Um, yeah, it is really hard to wrap our heads around the fact that you uh, came into this world um, and took up human form, Lord, and experienced what we experience. Help us uh, over this Christmas season, Lord, to understand the import of that, Father. Understand what that shows us about your character and your love. And as we, as followers of Jesus, um, live our lives in a way that uh, reflects that to others around us, Lord. Help us to think about what we may need to offer up to you, what we may need to implement in our lives to help us um, take on those characteristics, Lord. Specifically, the, the right righteousness, obedience, and compassion. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.